You're listening to the King's Oahu podcast. We hope today you're inspired, your faith is built up, and that you're encouraged by today's word. I want to preach something that is very strange because of a word used in the Bible. And it's the danger of turning into a sick of mind Christian. There's a verse of scripture and it's amazing. I did a commentary on the New Testament and never saw this in seven years of working on a commentary on the Bible. And when I saw this, it threw me off. This, this threw me off because when you read the four Gospels and you read the same story, and it's like over in one Gospel, it'll say, Jesus cast the devil out of one man and had 2,000 demons. And you go to another story, same story, and it says he cast the devil out of two men. You wait a minute. Was it one or was it two? So this is called the synoptic problem. Mark wrote the first gospel. We know that. So the others copied stories from Mark, and then they added their stories of their own experiences many times. Luke was one of them. And the synoptic problem sometimes is you read this here, and it's a little bit different there, but if you study it and research it, and we're not going to tell you the difference between the one man and the two men. It's, it can be explained. <clears throat> but sometimes people want to make it a contradiction. Luke chapter 17, verse 6. This verse says this. The Lord said, if you had faith as the grain of a mustard seed. Stop. Has anybody ever seen a mustard seed? Raise your hand if you've ever seen a mustard seed. It is very, very tiny. It is one of the smallest seeds in the world. If you have that much faith, you might say to this sycamine tree, what in the world is a sycamine tree? You're going to find out. Be thou plucked up by the what? Roots. You cut it down, what's going to happen? Why will it grow back, brother? The root is still in the ground. You've got to take this one by the root and get it out of the ground. And then he says, and be planted in the sea. Now, why would you take a tree and put it in the sea? There's two seas in Israel. Actually, there's more. Sea of Galilee, Mediterranean Sea, Dead Sea. There is a phrase about the sea of forgetfulness. How many of you ever heard somebody say, God will cast your sins in the sea of forgetfulness? Could this sea not be Galilee? Could this sea not be the Mediterranean? Could this sea be applied to the Dead Sea where nothing lives? It's water, but there's no life in it. So you take something that's growing by the roots, you have to pull it up by the roots, then you throw it into a sea of death. Why do you want this particular tree to die by the roots and go into a sea? And I'm assuming here, and I don't have time to develop it, it would be the Dead Sea, which is the sea of forgetfulness, where once it's gone, it's gone. Are you still here today? I'm still here. Because here's the reason why. Most problems have a root. Problems are either surface problems that are dealt with quickly and soon forgotten. But if a problem persist for days, weeks, and months, it has a root of some sort. And the only way to rid of the problem is by getting to the root. Story. Adamsville, Alabama, 1980s. Wednesday night, I preached on getting to the root of the problem. What was my text? My text was the fig tree. And Jesus saw a tree with leaves with no figs, for it was not the season of the figs. Oh, how strange is that? And he curses the tree and says, produce no more fruit. They come back the next day and the tree is dead. My point was he didn't curse the leaves. The tree was dead. Not the leaves. The tree was dead. How do you kill a tree? You can only kill it if you destroy the roots. So it died from the roots up. And I told people, I said, our problem is most of our prayers are praying at the fruit to get rid of the fruit, and we never destroy the root. And then later, the fruit comes back, and we don't know why. And I said, get to the root. I said, if your husband's not saved, find out why and pray at the root, and quit saying, Jesus, save him, Jesus, save him. Find out what the root is and deal with the root of it. 
in that service, a woman came up and said, read this paper. I thought it was the notes from my sermon. She said, I just gave all of my lady friends that have unsaved husbands in this church this paper. And it's about get to the root of the problem. And I said, praise God. She says, we're going to come Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we're going to get here at 10 and we're going to pray for four that our husbands will be saved. I said, do they come to church? She said, never, never. She says, some of them are heathen. She said, but we're going to get to the root. Thursday from 10 to 4, they were in the church praying. Friday from 10 to 4, they were in the church praying. Saturday from 10 to 4, they were in the church praying. It was not Christmas and it was not Easter. Why do I say that? Because that's when most sinners come to church. <laughs> they want to get two points with God. I went for Christmas and I went for Easter, right? The birth and the resurrection. All right, it was just a regular service. That, I never forget, Adamsville Church of God, I went to the lobby that day, and guess what happened? This man, I hear this man say, dear God, man, what are you doing here? The roof's going to fall in. I thought, what did he say that for? Here, and then he, they're talking, here comes another one in. Listen, out of five women who prayed for their husbands, four showed up to church on Sunday morning. After praying three days from 10 to 4 o'clock, guess what happened that morning? Three of the four men came to the altar and got saved, and they're still saved to this day, and that was about 1984, 83. The fourth man later came in, and I, did, I heard rumors. It was a few years later the fifth one came in. What did they do? This, this is the foundation of where we're going. They got to what the root was. And they prayed again. They stopped saying, save my husband, save my husband, bring him in, Lord. Get I said, quit that and find out, is he bound by something? Break the bondage. Is he hurt by a church? Break the hurt. And they did. And God did it. Because they got to the, say it out loud, they got to the. So let's go back to what Jesus says here. He says, if you will say, if you have faith the great of a mustard seed, that you might say to this sycamore tree, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. <clears throat> Why does he talk about this tree? Because this tree somehow has a root. What is the root about? That's what I want to show you, which is very bizarre. And remember, I've been preaching 46 years and only saw this about three months ago. That's why it's going to be good for you. If it's new to me, it's going to be new to you, praise God. I hope. All right. <clears throat> Roots. Hebrews chapter 12, 15. Now, look at this verse. Look, di looking diligently, lest any man, and that could be man or woman, boy or girl, fail of the grace of God. Fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, we're going to have to break this verse down because it's saying some things that you've got to understand. What is the context of this verse? The context of this verse, if you'll read it before, what he's saying is, listen carefully, releasing the grace of God toward other people that you need to release grace toward. It's not just a verse thrown out in the middle of an epistle. It is a verse of which he is saying there are people who need the grace of God. And you are going to have to release the grace of God toward people. How do you release grace? Okay, how does God release grace toward you? God releases grace towards you when you ask for forgiveness. And then when you ask for forgiveness, he releases favor and grace towards you to do what? To forgive you because you've asked. So how do I release grace toward people? I release grace toward people if people have offended me, if people have hurt me, if people have betrayed me, and that's all happened in my lifetime. So I have to be willing to say, if God forgave me, then I must forgive them. If God released me of something, I am responsible for also releasing them of something. Now listen to me carefully. Not when they come to me and ask me to do it. Because you're going to find something about people who are offended. Most people who ever get offended at you are never going to come and apologize to you because they have too much pride. When a woman stood up at a church in North Carolina and my dad was having a business meeting and she looked at my dad, who's a Holy Ghost man, and said, you're a liar. My dad's left hand shook like this. He said, sister, let me tell you, I quit lying when I got saved at age 17. What are you talking about? And she called him a liar again and my dad spoke in tongues and pointed his finger toward her. And guess what happened the next morning? She lost her voice. She couldn't talk the next morning, the next week, the next month, or the next two months. She lost her ability to speak. And my dad had to release grace toward her. She never asked dad to forgive her. She was in the wrong. The whole church knew it. But my dad said the Lord spoke to him in a church service and said her kids are crying out for her. 
They want their mama to talk because she can't talk. They tested her and couldn't find out what was wrong with her. Her vocal cords were in good condition, and she couldn't whisper hardly. Dad called her out while I was preaching a revival at his church. He said, Sister, come up here. Choir was singing. He said to my mom, do you forgive her? She said, yes. He said, well, I forgive you too. He said, I'm releasing grace toward you. Do you know what happened when my dad released grace toward her? Her voice came back the next day. You want to hear the sad part? She said, I know I was in error. I know I was in wrong. And I would like to go back and apologize to Brother Stone, but I have too much pride. Well, the pride got her. Because not only that, their house burnt down twice and she ended up dying in a car accident sometime later. It's a very sad story. But my, my point is, dad had to do what? He had, instead of being bitter with her, which he could have been, instead of praying the judgment to stay on her, which he could have as a leader, he said, I'm going to release the grace of God because he did not want mom or him to get a bitter spirit over her trying to embarrass him publicly in a church service. So he had to make the choice to release. In the context, this is what Paul is saying in Hebrews. It is important that you understand that when there needs to be grace in someone's life, that you be willing to give it because God gave you yours. So if I, if I have felt betrayed, he was betrayed. He had the right to be bitter with how he was treated. He had the right to call 12 legions of angels and destroy the whole place. But he chose instead to have grace released to us instead of him taking the easy road out. So he says, now that's your example. So that's the context of what he's saying. Now he says this, if we fail of the grace of God. So what he's saying there is, okay, if you fail to release grace toward people, they have been belligerent, they have been angry, they have been betraying, but if you, if you fail to release grace toward them, God says, here is what's going to happen to you. First of all, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to jump all over the place with this because I have to go back to my notes so I don't forget anything. What is a root of bitterness? What is it that makes people bitter? Why are they bitter? People are bitter because of information they have. They are bitter because someone has said something about them. Someone has talked about them. Someone has done them evil. So there is information they have that is out there that has caused them to turn bitter in their own spirit to put a seed of bitterness. Listen, no tree starts out with root. A tree starts out with a seed. So the seed gets in them. Then as they continue to water it and feed it, and talk about it and become critical and become belligerent, a root grows. And that root begins to spread out. Because I know that from the Greek word root, root of bitterness. Root is ridza in Greek. And it means branching out into your mind, branching out into your spirit, and branching out into your emotions. Emotions. It's a very powerful word. Emotions. What does it mean? It's the reaction that you have to what you know. I know God, so I'll worship him with my emotions. I believe in God, so I pray to him with passion. And what James said is fever and the fire of God. I love my wife. I don't go to my wife and say, I love you, I love you, I love you. I just want to tell you how much I love you. I think you're the greatest woman all the world. She's going to look at me and say, what's wrong with you today? If you love her, you say it with what? Passion. You say it with emotion. You win a ball. If your team... Now, I'm from the southeast, of course. By the way, I'm, I, uh, I'm real good friends with the, the tongue of Aloha's, Tua, and the whole family. So they're from Hawaii. So I feel like I got a connection over here somewhere. We're very close friends. Great football player. But in my part of the country, football is a big thing in the fall. And if Alabama, who happens to be why my, well, it's our team. If they, happen, if they happen to play and they win the national championship, we don't say, wasn't that a tremendous game? Praise the Lord. I think they did a wonderful job, don't you? No, Pam's going, ah, 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 you know. I'm thinking, Lord, if she shouts like that at the rapture, it's going to be a miracle. She, can, she loves shouting at these games. That's called emotion. But if you didn't, what if you go to a funeral and the woman's going, I tell you what, he was such a good man. And she got one eye crying and one guy scoping to see who the next husband's going to be. What would you think about that? What if she's not weeping because her husband of 50 years has died? Would you think, you know, it was kind of weird. She was laughing and cutting up the whole time. Looked like she'd be crying. See, you judge people on their situation thinking how they should react under that situation. 
Because your judgment is then based on how you would react under that situation. I'll tell you what, if they did that to me, I'd give them a piece of my mind. Maybe that's why you ain't got much brain left. You've been giving it away your whole life. Right? We want to react. We want people. Oh, help me. We want people to react the way we are reacting, and that's why we get other people involved in our offense. Because the more people we get involved in our offense, the more it empowers us to make us feel like we're right. Wow. Oh, pastor, they are saying this about the church. I want to know who they is. Usually it's Bill, Sue, and Lulu Lou. Most of the time it's one family who says it, but they want you to think the whole church is mad. They want you to think everybody's going off on a deep end. They want you to think the whole town is talking bad. Why? Because offended people want to be empowered by other people bringing them into their offense and bringing them into their bitterness. Somebody help me preach now. I'm a pastor's son. I know what I'm talking about. Now, if you think about this, it says this, that a root of bitterness starts springing out. How does it spring out? Because you keep talking about it. How does it spring out? Because you won't let it go. How does it spring out? Because it's the source of your conversation. Every time you talk, here it is. Every time you talk, there it is. So it grows. It gets bigger. It gets bigger. It gets bigger. It gets bigger on the inside of you. So then it says, the root of bitterness troubles you. Now, that's you. Greek word trouble here from the Greek, it means to, to be vexed, to be tormented, to be harassed. So you are troubled by the own root of bitterness that you are carrying. You can't sleep at night. You can't eat your food without, you lose your appetite. You don't want to be around people that are positive. You want to be around people that's negative because you negative makes you feel better being around people who are negative. And you don't want to be around nobody that's positive because you can't figure out why they're positive because you don't feel good and you're negative. You don't want to hear God's good all the time. You want to hear the devil's after me. The devil's on my back all day. Bless his holy name. I don't know what I'm going to do. Hell's breaking out. Glory to God. Somebody help me. Pray for me. Because that's the condition you're in. I'm talking to somebody. You can look at me if you want to, but you can't fool me. The Lord's in the house. The root of bitterness troubles you. And then watch this. Then it, defi it defiles. If I say defiled. It defiles many. I thought that word defile means... Uh, uh, to pollute, to make sick, but it actually means in Greek to stain a white garment. So if you've ever seen a white garment, and uh, I, I use this as an analogy here, of a woman coming down the aisle on her wedding day, and she's got coffee on this side. She's got grape juice on this side. She just had communion, spilled her whole communion over here on this side. <clears throat> she got spaghetti, she's Italian, so she got spaghetti sauce right down the middle here. And down at the bottom, she walked through mud, so the whole bottom is muddy. There's not a woman out there that I've ever met that would go in her wedding dress that way. But yet we think we're going to appear before the Lord with all of our defilement. We think we're going to go to the Mary Supper of the Lamb. He's going to say, well done. You know, some Christians are going to be surprised. Because we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. They're going to hear well done. But it's going down to the fiery place like a steak getting well done. That's what they're going to do. See? So in other words, we defile others by our conversation that we are bitter about. And I can't tell you the number of people, I have met people that have finally got the pride out of their life and they went back to the church and back to the pastor and they apologized for letting themselves be defiled. They apologized for listening to things that defiled them. And let me talk to you about this for just a minute. I'm going to go ahead and go there. And about 200,000 more YouTube subscribers, they put me under category of a social influencer, global social influencer, because I have a million people on my channel. So that puts you with YouTube in another area. But there are people who are what I call YouTube wannabe prophets. And they don't have no, they don't have no more of a prophetic more, uh, anointing than a dog on a tick has the baptism of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> they have no more anointing than writing your name on a barn makes you a horse. And they use other people's names and they use fake stories and even lies and in your windows to try to draw you in. It's not, and look, I know, I know YouTube. It's called hook bait. And they'll show 20 preachers, 27 preachers that are false prophets and they got 3 million views. 
it's, it's absolutely the most ludicrous thing. Now, I'm going to say something to you. Years ago, I had a couple that was a friend of mine from Tampa, Florida, and they were very well known. They, were, they had uh, five different, 10, 20, no, more than that, probably 20 athletes that attended their church. So the paper in the area has sent to me with this long article exposing them. I happen to know everybody in the article. I happen to know the people they're talking about, and I happen to know the article was 80% false. But the people that sent it were convinced it's got to be, if it's in the paper, it must be real. They sent me another one, and I finally said to Pam, I don't want to read this. Well, you know what? Their attorney, they find out two years later, their attorney is in bed with the newspaper. So the attorney who was supposed to be dealing with the paper is actually being paid by the papers. Anybody listen to me? And I found out something, because I've dealt with papers. It is what you didn't hear that would have changed your opinion. It is not what you heard. I had a journalist attack me three times, and guess what? This never happens to a journalist. He got fired. <laughs> he got fired. He, 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 he was asked to leave the paper because he was telling stories that weren't vetted, but they were sensational. Talk to me, somebody, to sell newspapers. Preach on. I'm going to. So I've been there. Now, there's some things her and I don't do. Stay with me now. <clears throat> I do not watch any documentary on any preacher. I know journalists. I know secular journalists. I know the inside. I know how it works. And I never will ever listen to one person who was on staff make a complaint because they don't tell you all the good they did for him. They'll never tell you how they blessed them and helped them and prayed for their family and prayed for their kids. Oh, no, they're they going to give the bad part, the negative part. Let me tell you, if we were judging everything by negative, Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. How come the other 11 didn't say, my God, I can't serve nobody. The church treasurer done committed suicide. Dear God, that's going to ruin the whole ministry. I quit. What about Peter, who denies he even knows the Lord and curses denying the Lord? What you going to do with that guy? Oh, my God, we got the treasurer. He's committed suicide. We got Peter, who's supposed to be a leader. He's out there cussing, saying he don't know God. What are you going to do with Thomas? I ain't going to believe it unless I see it. Dear Lord, that's three of the 12. You think God's going to raise up an army with 12 men that are that messed up? One of them's dead. One of them's half backslid cussing and the other one don't even believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. Can I tell you, aren't you glad that 11 disciples decided not to listen to the Jerusalem news, not to listen to some report, but they said it's God that called us. And if God called us, God's going to get the job done because we're raised up by the anointing to be apostles. <laughs> Well, I think preachers ought to be perfect. What about you? Let me ask something. How would you like, just ask a question. How would you like all your past exposed? How, how many would like all your, I'm talking about way back, all your old boyfriends you slept with. Come on, don't look at me. All your old girlfriends you slept with, all those drugs you did. Those people that were killed, you never told nobody. Oh, I'm preaching now. You know, it got real quiet there. The shout left the house. <laughs> it just walked right out of the door on two legs. I saw it when it left about 30 seconds ago. How many of you here would say, I'm an open book. Let them look in my past from beginning to end and report anything they wish to report because my life is an open book. How many of you are ready for that? Raise your hand. I just want to see if there's anybody dumb enough to raise your hand then why do we want to put up with what they're saying about a brother we wouldn't want them to do it to us but yet we'll put up with what they say about a brother we'll get right in the middle of a conversation about a brother I want to remind you and I've watched guys had to live this that with the same judgment you judge it'll come a day it might be two to three years down the road but God's going to make you eat what you're judging somebody else about you better watch how you treat other people you better watch how you treat fallen people because the Bible said be careful lest you fail in the grace of God with how you treat somebody Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. We can actually hinder 
Christians and hinder people by the bitterness that we carry staining us and then defiling other people. I know people that will not go to church now all because they got in a conversation with other people who were negative. And you know what's sad? Can I tell you what's sad? So the people that were originally negative finally got their heart right with God and repented. But we can't get the other people back because they defiled them so bad with a root of bitterness that the root overtook that person. And they can't get it out of their spirit. They're still living that way 10 years later. Talk to me, somebody. Know you not that your body, 1 Corinthians 3, is a temple of the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile, word, is that, word, is that what it said? If any man defile the temple, if any man defile, what are we talking about? A root, a bitterness, that. If any man defile the temple, him will God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you're of. Let me preach old school, southeastern United States. Whoop, glory to God. <laughs> holy Ghost, how I was raised. All the old time preachers, <laughs> I'm not making fun, but I can tell you some funny stories. But all the old time preachers I grew up with preached that about defying the temple as being smoking cigarettes. Now, don't say nothing about smoking Greek or Hebrew. I didn't even talk about cigarettes. And I'm not saying smoking smoking's a bad habit. You need to get free because you, your life will be longer if you get free. And let's understand that. But they preached stuff like that and said, I tell you, you defile that temple, God's going to kill you. That is not what it means. I looked it up. God is not going to kill you if you have a habit. You're going to kill yourself. <laughs> now, let me explain. And you'll understand him will God destroy. I looked up, I wrote this in a book. I don't know what book it is. Please don't ask what book it is. I have no idea. I wrote it in a book. But I, wrote, I looked up the word destroy, and there's all kinds of Greek words for destroy, and that one, that one stands alone. Here's what it means. Can I retranslate it so we can understand it? For if you defile the temple, God will not prevent it from having problems. So if I do have a habit, I'm going to have a problem. If I do certain things that hurt my body, which I have, I'm not eating well, I must admit, I'm going to have a problem. And what it means is, don't you sit around and blame God when you didn't take care of yourself. And your mom and daddy tried to tell you for years, leave it alone. And you wouldn't leave it alone. And so what happens is, him will God destroy, is God will not prevent you. Can I say it? In more modern vernacular, God is not going to prevent you from suffering with a, a physical affliction if you destroy the temple by not taking care of it. Now, remember this. We talk about, I'm from old school, okay? Well, in old school days, it was like alcohol and cigarettes and couldn't, you know. I, I'm not making fun because I still, I still believe the old school way, okay? I believe I'll take care of yourself. But here's the thing. We preached on outward stuff. Now, when I grew up, they preached on how women should look. Y'all didn't do that in Hawaii, I know. No, y'all didn't do that here, did you? No. Back where I'm from, you couldn't wear jewelry. Women couldn't wear makeup. They couldn't wear lipstick. And then when I grew up, we had the ugliest women in the church. I will tell you if it was. I found a beautiful. I, I saw her. She looked good without makeup. I said, she's a winner. So I took her when I found her. I said, good Lord, look at that woman. <laughs> she looked good without makeup. Praise the Lord. She got it going on. She knows, she knows I'm telling her the truth. All right? <laughs> but here's the thing. We will talk about outward things. But what about jealousy? Does it not defile you? What about bitterness? Does it not defile? The Bible said envy is where every evil work comes in the church. Does that not defile you? What about unforgiveness? Ooh, that's one we don't want to talk about. Because the Bible says if I don't forgive my brother, I can't be forgiven of my sins. Read Matthew 6, scariest verse in the Bible for a Christian. And so we need to understand that it's not what goes into a man that defiles. What goes into a man may make you big. Right? But what defiles you? What comes out of what? When I criticize, 
when I am bitter, when I say words against other people, then I'm doing what? Defiling my spirit. Is everybody still tracking with me? I got to get to this tree before I run out of time. Okay. Now, in the Gospels, there are four Gospels. How many of you know that the Gospels talk about a mustard seed? Raise your hand if you've ever heard the mustard seed preached on. Raise your hand. Let me see how many hands go up. Okay. Um, in, in, in the context of the other verses, two writers on the mustard seed, it says this. If at faith the grain of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain. Does this sound familiar now? Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not die in your heart. But believe the things that comes to pass, you shall have whatsoever he says. So that's how I've always heard this preach. What is the mountain? I have preached that the mountain is your problems. Whatever is your problem that is blocking you spiritually, say to the mountain. Now, I want to give you a nugget here. Notice he says all it takes is the faith, the grain of a mustard seed, which is one of the smallest seeds in the world. Here's your key. Here's your nugget. It is not having a large amount of faith because whether the, the disciples came couldn't cast the devil out of a boy, remember? And they wanted to have their faith increased. And Jesus talked about say to the mountain, so on. All right, so here's the deal. It is not the amount of faith you have. It's the absence of unbelief. So if I have a lot of faith, but all the time I'm praying I don't believe, I cancel my prayers. But if I can get rid of the unbelief, and every miracle I've ever seen, every miracle I've ever seen personally, when I prayed, I had no unbelief. It's like I knew Gut, gut feeling. I knew that I knew that I knew this is going to work. Oh, this is going to be so cool. Watch this. Watch this. You know, prayed for a woman one time. Her and her husband couldn't have babies. And I said, the Lord says, she's Sarah. And I start screaming, you're Sarah, you're Sarah, you're Sarah. And she started laughing. I said, there she is. She's laughing like Sarah. She's going to have a baby. She had three. <laughs> I used to have this anointing to pray with families that couldn't have kids. And I had to quit because the last woman I prayed for the baby was nine pounds, five ounces. <laughs> and they asked me to quit praying for women because they were having these babies that were giants. <laughs> that really did happen. The Sassers in Richmond, Virginia, nine pounds, five ounces. Oh my. This one said, don't pray for me. Don't, I want a baby. Don't pray for me. <laughs> okay, let's go on with this. All right. So in every other example, he says that it's about speaking to the mountain having faith the grain of a mustard seed. Here he says, faith the grain of a mustard seed, you shall say to the sycamine tree. He doesn't say mountain. He says sycamine tree. So I go back to Luke and I said, what's he talking about? Because if you want to know the, the text, a verse, go before and after and look at what's called context, setting. Check this out. This gets deep. In Luke 17 and 1 where this verse is written, it says this. It's impossible that offenses will come, but woe to him to whom they come. Now, the context in Luke 17 is he's talking about being offended. Would you agree that's what he just said? Someone offending you, being offended. Okay, it's a big thing now, right? She said and he said and I'm mad at them because they've offended me. It's a big thing. Matthew 24 said in the last days, many would be offended. Many will betray one another. Many will hate one another. And the reason they do is the love of many is growing cold. You will not be offended if you stay in love. But when you really, your root problem is not your offense. Your root problem is you fell in love with the pastor. You fell out of love with the church because you run your mouth and your root got so big it overtook your love. It choked out your love. That's what happened to you. Okay, now let's keep going on. Luke's verse 2 of chapter 17. Don't offend a little one, and that means either a child or someone young in the Lord. Because if you are offending a little one, it's better for you to tie a millstone around your neck, neck and jump into the sea. Now, in the Roman time, if you did a capital punishment, uh, 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 murdered someone, one form of capital punishment was to tie a millstone around the person's neck that was guilty and throw them into the ocean. And I mean, you sunk like a rock and you didn't come back up, right? So think about how... Now, so to Jesus, hurting a little person, hurting someone young in the Lord to turn them away from God, to turn them out of church... It's so serious. He said, you might as well tie a millstone around your neck. That's serious stuff, folks. And let me tell you something. You might not be in the church offending little ones, but if you sit at a table and you talk about the church negatively and your grandbabies hear it and your children hear it, you are offending a little one. You're in danger. You, and you won't know it now. You're just having a good time now and you got your opinion now and you're going to say what you want to say. But I will guarantee you because I've watched it a hundred times. You lose those kids. They will never go to church. You'll never get them to anything but a wedding or a funeral. And you will turn them off and you'll never get them back again. Is it worth it? 
Is it worth a root defiling you and defiling others and you losing your kids to eternity? Absolutely not. It's not worth it. All right. And then he says in verse 3, now he talks about offense. Don't offend a little one. Then he talks about a brother offending a brother. If a brother trespass, that means to violate you in some way, rebuke him. But if he repents, then forgive him. Now I'm just going to say this. I'm going to talk about the greatest, that message tonight. I don't want to even... I don't, even, I don't even want to walk on it right now because we'll get into something. We'll be here all day, and we're not going to do that. We're going to wait till tonight. <clears throat> but, no, let me save that. I'm, I'm about to go somewhere. I'm going to open up, a, open up a new direction. Now, he's talking about being offended. If you're talking about offended, the context of the rest of the chapter should be about what? Being offended. How to deal with offense. What do the disciples say? Increase our faith. He ain't talking about faith. He's talking about being offended. He's talking about a brother violating you. And you, you just, did, did you not get what he said? You should be talking about, how do I stop offense? No, they're talking about how to increase their faith. So Jesus says, if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the roots, be thou planted in the sea, and it shall obey you. You ready for what I'm about to tell you? The sycamine tree is unforgiveness. The sycamine tree, and I'm going to prove it to you in a minute, is being unforgiving in the midst of being offended. They offended me, I'm going to offend them. I feel hurt by them, I'm going to retaliate against, against them. I'm preaching right here. I, I, I'm preaching better than you're listening. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. No, not really. I'm kidding you. You got it? So in other words, the sycamine tree that gets roots... Remember, a tree has roots. The root is bitterness. The bitterness spreads out. It troubles you, vexes you, bogs your mind down. Then you start talking about it all the time. Then what do you do? You defile other people with your offense. And now they want their faith built. So Jesus said, if you want your faith built, the first thing you got to do, what he's taking, he's taking them back to the original thing he's trying to tell them. What you have to do is get the sycamine tree uprooted. You want faith? You want faith? How many, how many would like to have the gift of faith and you can just pray for people and they start getting healed? My dad had that. It's the coolest thing you ever saw in your life. It just, he just believed people got healed. They just get healed right in front of you. It's a gift of faith. Well, you know what? You, listen to me. This is what Jesus is saying, and I said this this morning. The level of faith that God will give you will be contingent on the level you're able to forgive your enemies. Put it up, okay. You shall say to this mountain, what's the mountain? I've heard it said it's problems. No, the mountain is unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness, if it goes unchecked, will form a mountain. And it will stay in you, and it will get bigger. And the situation you dealt with may have been that big. But give it about three months, now it's this big. And then your story gets bigger. And your story gets bigger, and the stories people tell you get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So here's, here's something I want to tell you about building your faith. If you want to build your faith, you cannot be putting ridiculous stuff in your spirit. This is why, see me in this lady right here? Someone caught, it was one of our uh, housekeeper. Did you see that special they did on TV about those ministries? And we said no, because I don't watch specials that secular people do on ministries. You know why? Ready? I don't want to get defiled. Come on. I don't want to get defiled. And then how do I know that the people giving them information are even telling the truth? I tried to sue a paper one time, and my, my attorney, who's big time, he said to me, don't even try it. He said, you probably win. But he said, they, all they do is use the word alleged, and they got away with it. I said, but it's a lie. He said, we know it's a lie. But try to, try to sue a paper and see how much. So see, they know, they, they write it to protect themselves. They say, it has been reported. It has been said. And then where's this? It's according to an anonymous source. Are you kidding me? If your word ain't good enough to put your name behind it, you need to shut your mouth. Don't give me this anonymous source stuff. You don't want me to tell you from my southern term what that's called. Not in church. 
<laughs> oh, easy, brother. Easy, brother. Don't go there. <laughs> you still here? Yeah. You still here? Raise your hands. So in other words, if I want great faith, I got to keep stuff out of me that's going to defile me. And it's not just people's gossip. Someone else said, oh, did you read that? Nope. Won't read them. One man, I told about this man this morning, never tell you his name, he's a great friend of mine. But one man lost a $1 billion ministry years ago to another man who just eventually just took the whole thing down, just about. And I said to him, I said, can I tell you, ask you a question? I'm just going to ask you a question. How in the world do you forgive a guy like that? He said, every day. I said, whoa, you're talking about 30 years ago, 35 years ago? Every day. He said, every day I get up and the enemy will say, See what you lost? See what they took from you? You should, you, should, you should expose them. You should have written a book a long time ago. And he says, no, I'm not doing that. He said, because I have to stand before God. And I want my heart to be clean. So he says, every day I forgive. Every day I forgive. And he helped me because you know what? I've had times every day I've had to forgive. Can I tell you it's Bible? Can I tell you it's Bible that sometimes you have to do this day after day? Can I give you the verse? You shall say to the mountain. You shall say to the sycamine tree. A dear friend of mine who's a Greek scholar said that in Greek, you shall say is in a tense that means this. And you shall say and 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 say. It does not give you an ending to how many times you have to say. So I used to think it was just, well, if I got faith, one time it's done. And I've had faith. And one time it was done. And then these rascals come back six months later with an attack. And it's like, oh, come on, you've got to be kidding me. And then I say and say and say, and it's all good. And some other, somebody, five months later wants to, wants to put their mouth in it. Hello. People that are hurt at you, people that's offended, people you've let go from work, whatever the case may be. And i got to say, do I have to do this again? And again, and Jesus said, if a brother trespasses against you and you go to him, how many times, Peter said, should I forgive him? And seven times, and seven times enough? And Jesus said, 70 times seven. Are you kidding me? You know that's 490 times. Let me tell you something. If somebody comes to you and asks you to forgive them 490 times, they got a problem somewhere. They need to get victory over what they're saying after 400. I'm just giving you my opinion on a verse, okay? This is the Perry Stone commentary, the unofficial commentary on the Perry Stone Bible, okay? 490 times, okay. Okay, preach on. I'm going to. Are you still here? Faith is a mustard seed. The sycamine tree, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me carefully. The sycamine tree is so important because... Its root is so deep. There's five things about it. I want to give this quickly. The sycamine tree is a particular tree from the Middle East. Jesus knew it existed. That has one of the deepest root systems of any tree. Bitterness, that's what we're talking about here, has a deep root system. And the deeper you let it go, I promise you, it'll get deeper. It'll get, it'll get entrenched in your spirit so bad that people will lay hands on you. And they'll pray for you, and it'll still be somewhere down there still trying to creep up. Number two, this tree can flourish in very dry desert places. It does not need a lot of water. And I get from that that bitterness will make you dry spiritually. You'll try to worship, can't worship. you try to pray, can't pray. Your prayers will be hindered. You, you just go to church, and you feel like, why don't I even come to church for? I can't feel nothing because you're dry. Number three. It was a preferred wood in the Old Testament time. I'm sorry, in Jesus' day, it was a preferred wood to make coffins. <laughs> so you put dead things in there. So in other words, bitterness will kill the life in you. It will make you dead on the inside. I promise you, it will make you dead on the inside. Number four, the fruit looks good, but it's bitter when you taste it. Mm-hmm, hello. It might make you feel good talking about people, but it's defiling your spirit. Number five, it's polluted. I mean, I'm sorry, it's pollinated by the sting of a wasp. Woo, a wasp. I don't like wasps. I don't like bees, but at least bees give you honey. I never seen nothing good a wasp does. I know they pollinate things. It's pollinated by, so a sting, the sting of a wasp pollinates this. What does pollination do? It makes things grow. It makes the flowers bloom. Pollinating with a sting causes it to increase. 
So the more you live in the sting of the pain of what you've dealt with and you don't let it go, what will it do? What's it going to do? It's going to prop. And you know, you've heard of, you ever heard of cross-pollination where plants cross? So what happens is your pollination is going to cross-pollinate with somebody that's gone through a similar thing. And if you ever notice, all hurt people hang around hurt people. All bitter people will find other bitter people. And they will hang around them. And next thing you know, you got a whole group of people. They, they can't even tell you why they're offended. They can give you an excuse, but they'll get offended. They become bitter. And I, I just, I want to say this again. Be careful because the same judgment that you judged. I'm going to be careful saying this, but this really happened. This is just a quick story. But this friend of mine, friend, a friend of mine was called by another preacher on worldwide TV a cancer in the body of Christ. And this guy went through something that years ago he repented of, went through something he'd forgiven, and the paper got a hold of it just to try to make a big dang thing out of it. It was already done. It was already, it was already over. This particular thing was already over. And when this man said, Pam will remember this, so-and-so is nothing but a cancer in the body of Christ, I looked at my wife, I said, that man's in trouble. I know he's got a big ministry, I know he's known around the world, but mark it down, it's coming to his door. And two years later, Something worse came out on him. And I believe, I honestly believe, had he not said that, God would have allowed a door of how, whatever the enemy was going to do to him, God would allow that door to shut because he had mercy towards someone else. But because he didn't show mercy, he didn't get it when he needed it. Okay? So here's what I do. Here's what I do. I never, my wife knows. I've had ministers that were great men of God, and you never know what people have to go through demonically. You never know the attack they're under. You never know the conspiracies that people have against them. So you don't know all that. But I have seen those things happen with friends of mine, and I would be the one person that would be the first person to call them and ask them, are you okay? How can I pray? And sometimes I'd say, what do you need? One guy said, I have no income. They've taken all my income from me. I said, what do you need, brother? And I helped him. And you know why I did it? What I always tell my wife, I'm going to treat other people the way I want to be treated if I'm in their situation. <laughs> and you will know, that's when you'll soon discover how God will take care of you because you took care. Why, let me ask you something. I'm going to blow your mind right here real quick. I got just a little bit of time. Probably over. Is that okay, Pastor? I go over a minute or two. But I want to ask you one question because this ties in with what we're saying. King David was a man after God's own heart. How many would agree with me? The Bible says that. Giant killer when he was a teenager, singing songs to the Lord on the mountains, writing psalms when he was a kid, became King Saul's armor bearer as a young man, married one of Saul's daughters, was a hero to Israel, women singing songs, Saul has slain his thousands, David has tens of thousands. But check this out. Saul, the king, became very jealous of him and tried in 13 years... In 13 years, Saul tried over and over again to kill David, his son-in-law. All right, now let's go ahead of time. David had the opportunity twice to kill Saul. You know that, right? In the cave of Abdulman, and he cut his garment off. He cut his skirt off. I don't want to get into what that represented, but he cut his skirt off twice, and it scared Saul so bad he finally left David alone and said, man, God's with this guy. I better leave him alone, right? But he could have killed him, and David wouldn't kill him. And here's what David said. I will not be guilty of touching God's anointed. Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. 1 Samuel 17, 18. And the, evil, and the Spirit of God departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Saul is controlled by a demon, and David says he's still anointed. Wow. Yeah. This guy's trying to kill him, and he says, I ain't touched him because he's anointed. Watch Mercy and grace released toward a king who don't even deserve it. Watch what happens to David. Ready? David has an affair with a woman, has the husband set up to have him killed, and has an illegitimate baby, and he's supposed to be stoned. He broke two of the Ten Commandments, and the commandment says get stoning for adultery and stoning for murder, and he never got stoned. And he was supposed to. Why didn't God stone him? Why didn't God tell the men, raise him up and stone him? Can I tell you why? I'm going to tell you why. 
I wish I had time to preach this message. Because he was merciful toward a man who didn't deserve it. And God said, if you'll be, because you're merciful to a man who really didn't deserve it, I should have your life taken, but I have forgiven you because you've repented before me. Of course, his, his children raised up against him. There were some problems, but he never experienced what he could have experienced because of the mercy of God. Now, folks, you listen to me. It doesn't take forever for you to be forgiven, and it doesn't take forever for somebody else to be forgiven. If people have repented, your Bible says once a person repent, repents, you're supposed to work on restoring them to the place of God where they need to be. Sometimes that's counseling. Sometimes that's time off. But you restore such a one. Watch this rest of the verse now. Lest you be overtaken by the same fault. How would you want to be treated if it were you? How would you want to be treated if it were you? That's how you need to treat people. That's how you need to view it. People, years ago, I'm, I'm trying to wrap this up, I promise you. But years ago, a dear friend of mine had a situation. It was with a female in a church. And they asked him to take six months off to step down. And I hated it because we were like friends for life. And I was in the Cleveland, Tennessee. And by the way, Bishop Tim Hilden's come as one of the greatest preachers in the world. You're gonna, he's gonna, he can sing the fire down. He sings with the Bill Gaither guys. He'll blow, he'll blow the house apart Sunday whenever he's coming, so get ready. So anyway... There was a church convention going on of ministers. And I knew ministers have a tendency of what's the latest, have you heard? And I'm at Panera Bread. And I get ready to walk in the God says, here's what's going to happen. They know you know this brother. And they're going to ask you, have you heard? And you tell them you don't want to hear. I'd heard. I heard from his father-in-law. We're good friends. He was on my board. But God said, you don't, you don't discuss it. Because he's already asked me to forgive him. So why are you discussing something? That's already under the blood. I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. See, there's repercussions, yes, but it's under the blood. So don't discuss it. I walked in and sure enough, here they come. Hey, did you hear? I said, nope, and I'm not talking about it. I made every preacher in that place mad, but I left feeling real good. <laughs> Praise God, hallelujah. Because I am not going to go and pull your stuff out from under the blood. Because I don't want my stuff pulled out from under the blood. You don't, you don't go pulling out people's stuff that's under the blood. So watch this. You will be a lot happier person if you'll be a forgiving person. And you'll be a lot happier person if you'll be a merciful person. And you'll be a lot happier person if you just tell people, I don't want to hear it. I want to hear it. I just shut up. Make them mad. They need to get mad. Shut up. I want to hear it. And you'll be so happy, and they'll go to bed, and they're going to be all twisted at night and have stomach cramps from all their bitterness and foaming at the mouth. My God. And you're going to be going. Talk to me, somebody, on Sunday morning. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And for more great content, go to kcoahu.com. Thanks again for listening and God bless you.